Um, I should have probably looked more closely at the schedule about what it says I'm supposed to talk about because I'm not quite talking about that so much. Uh, I'm going to touch on identification and definitely toxicity as being issues of safety with mushrooms, but those are where those become critically important is if you're out gathering wild mushrooms. And in kind of the farmer's market milieu, there's some of that, but there's probably more cultivation of mushrooms. And uh, let's just plunge right in. So there's mushrooms, there's wild mushrooms, and there's wild mushrooms. Uh, Agaricus bisporus, that's your portobello, your cremini, your button mushroom. Uh, they're all the same species. There's a brown variant and a white variant. It, you let it grow longer for a portobello, you pick it earlier for a button mushroom. But uh, that's what nine-tenths of the consuming public thinks of when they think of mushrooms. And that's why it always drives me crazy when someone will say, no, I'm not interested in the morel, I don't like mushrooms. Uh, to me, that's like saying, no, I won't try this strawberry because I don't like Brussels sprouts. Yeah, they're both plants. The morel and portobello are both mushrooms, but they're not closely related. Uh, commercial sales of Agaricus bisporus are $4.3 billion worldwide annually. Uh, definitely, if you're looking at the importance of a mushroom in commerce, that's going to be it. If you're looking at the farmer's market, probably agaricus isn't as important. There's, we have one or two farms that I know of in Nebraska, but usually, if you're doing agaricus bisporus, this probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, probably isn't a side project. This is your full-time job. You're an agaricus farmer. That's what you're doing. Uh, the other mushrooms, pretty much anything on this list that isn't agaricus are treated by the consumers by advertisers as wild mushrooms. And most of them, that's kind of debatable. So shiitake, and these blue bars here just kind of reflect commercial sales. Uh, Agaricus is way off the scale, and then otherwise you probably have more commercial sales of shiitake than oyster and, and okitake than lion's mane and some of the more specialized ones. So shiitake is kind of considered a wild mushroom. It is not wild. It is not native to the U.S. Uh, I don't know of many, if any, cases of it escaping and naturalizing. So shiitake is probably the most commonly farmed on a small to medium scale mushroom. And that's one that it's, it takes some time, it takes some investment, but it's not that hard to get into. The main thing with shiitake, uh, it's a fairly easy thing to farm you can, if you have a source of wood. So if you're managing a woodlot or something and thinning out trees and trimming trees and have this wood you need to get rid of, then shiitake is often kind of a profitable side project to get into. Uh, the downside, you inoculate your log and you've got, in most cases, a year until you can start harvesting and then a few years that you can continue to harvest the crop. Uh, next down the list, we have oyster mushrooms and anokitake. I'll have pictures of all of these as we go through. And those are primarily cultivated, um, but they also, they do occur wild in North America. You can find them in the woods. They're 
you can find a log that has oyster mushroom and go back to that log at certain times after rains and count on it having oyster mushrooms for a while. Uh, but you don't know if you're going to get there before the bugs get there. So most of the ones we see for sale in the markets or anywhere are uh, cultivated. Lion's mane, hen of the woods, namiko, these are all wood rotting mushrooms. They're a little trickier to cultivate than some of the others. And so I think the ones I have seen for sale in the stores, uh, you'll see some of these in Whole Foods sometimes, for instance, uh, or in the co-ops, those are cultivated. But uh, for people who just are mushroom enthusiasts, you're probably more likely to go out and find them than to uh, cultivate them. But again, sales would be fairly unpredictable with those. Chanterelle, morel, lobster mushroom, porcini, truffle, those all have commercial trade, but they're almost exclusively wild caught. And most of those, um, they have an obligate association with the roots of a living tree. So they're not very amenable to cultivation. Morel, there is some cultivation. Uh, there's a patent in the US. There's some efforts in China. I've, I have not encountered cultivated morels on the market from what I've heard from people who have. They don't have the same flavor as the wild ones. And we think that there is actually probably some endosymbiotic bacterium that's contributing to the flavor of the wild morels. Uh, we know that's the case now with truffles, that there are other microbes that contribute to the flavor and the aroma. So those guys, uh, if they're for sale, they're going to be wild collected. And morel is probably the only one in Nebraska that we're going to see in any significant amount that you could even collect in quantity sufficient to sell. And then at the very bottom of the list, I'm just mentioning a few things that are edible mushrooms that you can find sometimes, but that I've never really seen any commercial sale of. But mushroom hunters like them. If we look at ease of production of these guys, that's kind of reflected by the diamond here. Um, oysters, anokitake, some of the other wood decay fungi are relatively easy. And the thing is, a lot of them aren't very picky. They break down plant matter. And in your best case scenario, like an oyster mushroom, uh, it breaks down wood. It will break down paper. It can grow on sawdust. It can grow on straw. Uh, some people grow them on coffee grounds. So a wide range of substances. They're not very finicky. And that makes them fairly easy to grow. There is a kit that I use in my classes uh, with oyster mushrooms. It's the TP oyster kit. And what you do is you actually take a roll of toilet paper. You sterilize it by pouring boiling water over it. And then you just fill the center of that roll with the oyster mushroom spawn. It grows through and eats the toilet paper and fruits on the outside. So that's very simple, straightforward. Uh, shiitake pretty much wants wood or sawdust. It's not going to be that happy if you give it to toilet paper. Uh, some of the others have some pickier constraints. They take longer to fruit. Uh, maybe they'll grow on sawdust, but they have to have a cold cycle, or you have to cover them with uh, a thick layer of sawdust to really stimulate the fruiting. So they can be done, but they're a little trickier. And then, again, your chanterelles, your morels, they're pretty much off the list. You're not going to be cultivating those in most cases. So let's just look at some of the mushrooms. Uh, here's Agaricus bisporus. And 
again, I'm using the scientific name because it has about a dozen common names based on different shapes and sizes. When I first encountered mushrooms in my life, they were the canned things on pizza. And again, that's probably what 90% of Americans think of with mushrooms. These are grown in a different way than pretty much all of the others. All of the others are pretty much grown on a wood or cellulose-based substrate. Uh, there's a long tradition of growing agaricus on manure-based substrate uh, with or without an admixture of straw. And so that, uh, this is really the only mushroom that's probably a big enough industry that FISMA comes into it. And the main place that FISMA is kind of focused so far is really on the safety of making sure that if you're using manure that that is composted thoroughly enough that you're not going to have any pathogens. And there's some work done, being done in Pennsylvania, which is sort of the headquarters of North American mushroom production, uh, doing some validation studies to determine how long is safe for composting uh, before you can go into these. Uh, very high density of mushrooms are produced when, when they're going, and this is a domesticated species. So it's farming methods are, again, there, there are tricks to it. It takes a little while to work them out, but they're pretty well controlled and reliable and repeatable. Okay, here's shiitake, and we have it growing on the log. And then we also have just a bin that I photographed at the grocery store. So that's one fairly, fairly widespread commercially. You can get that in not all the time, but you can find that at Hy-Vee. You can find that at fairly ordinary grocery stores as well as some of the more specialty places. Um, after I'm done, I'm going to leave some of these catalogs out on the front desk if anyone wants them. This is from Field and Forest Products, and they're, uh, they're out of Wisconsin. They're one of the major mushroom spawn producers. And so they have, uh, they have pretty much all of the mushrooms I'm talking about except agaricus, but they have a wide variety of shiitakes. So they have shiitakes for cooler climates, warmer climates, earlier fruiting, easier cultivation, just a wide range of different strains. So, and they sell the TP oyster kits if you want to inoculate toilet paper with your kids. Fun project. Uh, here's the oyster mushrooms. They're kind of distinctive by the way the gills of the mushroom just kind of go down the stem. And the stem kind of curves and is off-center. And here we actually see some fruiting on that roll of toilet paper that is now completely covered with fungal fluff. Um, when you're growing mushrooms, we talk about them coming in, they'll come one or two or three times off of a substrate, so we'll talk about the first and second flush. People get amused about that with the toilet paper cultivation. We're easily amused in, in the mushroom world. In Okitake, uh, this is kind of a fun one. You may have seen this in the stores in its long, skinny white form. Uh, if you encounter it in the wild, and you can, it's present in this state, you're going to see this very different form with a possibly slippery, shiny brown cap and the brown kind of fuzzy stem. And the difference between these two mushrooms, genetically they're the same, the difference is light exposure. So a mushroom, almost all mushrooms are very sensitive to light, and they're looking 
we don't know how they look, but they are looking for a light signal to let them know that they are out of the wood, above the substrate, that they're somewhere that they can open up their cap and their spores will be free to distribute. If they're in the dark, then the spores can't get out. So with this guy, it's being grown mostly in the dark with a pinprick light source at the very top. So that's making it grow very long, very narrow, do the uh, white growth that we see in uh, white asparagus is the same principle, basically being grown in the dark. Uh, caps will develop a little bit because this thing has now been growing four or five inches and it thinks I might never get out there, I may as well do something. But uh, So there'll be a few gills, but it's not really designed for spore dispersal like the other one is. They're going to taste pretty similar. Um, this guy might have some textural differences because it's got the kind of fuzziness on the stock and the sliminess on the cap. Uh, I've never really seen wild collected in Okataki, but there it is. <coughs> Other species that can be cultivated, uh, the maitake or hen of the woods, the one shown there that's the size of an entire piece of newspaper was not cultivated, that was wild collected. Uh, they tend to occur in the wild in the fall at the base of oak trees, where they're not really a great thing for the oak tree, but they're a nice fungus, so they're a bonus prize. Uh, the lion's mane here, I actually had a friend who was cultivating oyster mushrooms with the toilet paper kit and growing lion's mane at the same time, and the lion's mane escaped and invaded the oyster mushrooms property. So you've got these kind of fuzzy pom-poms over here, and that's the lion's mane. Uh, rishi is not an edible mushroom. You don't eat it. It's not a poisonous mushroom. It's considered a medicinal mushroom. So this one is grown and then usually infused into a tea. And it's considered to have anti-tumor properties, uh, antioxidant properties, longevity properties. I have had rishi tea. It's, uh, if you can imagine steeping corrugated cardboard in water, it's almost exactly that flavor. But, uh, but there it is. And pe people also grow it just for the appearance, the attractiveness of it. And this is one also where you can control the shape based on the light. You can do a pinprick light source and it'll grow kind of a more antler-shaped, long, narrow form. Nemeco is becoming more popular. I've just started seeing that in the stores in the past few years. And that's another one that can be cultivated. It's a little trickier than some of the other wood decay fungi. It's not immediate, but uh, it's doable. For our usually wild collected mushrooms, uh, definitely the morels, and those are probably in the middle of Missouri by now. I do keep track of where they're coming up, so they're not in our state yet. It's been a fairly cool spring. I would anticipate we'll start seeing them maybe down in the southeast around Indian Caves second week of April, I'd say probably, at the earliest. Uh, but those are very popular and can be very abundant when they come up. Most morel hunters, their first concern is to get enough morels for themselves and their friends and family. And only if it's a really bumper crop do people really start to think about selling them. Michigan has morel festivals and very abundant morels, so you can find people at the roadside selling their morels for $20 a pound, and some places will get more than that. 
uh, truffles. The Nebraska truffle industry is completely unutilized. Uh, I don't know if we really have, I'm pretty sure we don't have the black Perigorge truffle of France or Italy. Um, we do have truffle-like fungi. In fact, my husband's working on one that came from, again, Indian Cave State Park that is fairly frequent down there, but uh, the fact that it is related to truffles and has some truffle-like features doesn't mean it's necessarily delicious and delightful. So we're studying it more as a mycological curiosity. Uh, when truffles are farmed, and you may have heard of truffle cultivation, that's done by inoculating the roots of compatible trees and hoping. And some cases it works a little bit. There's been some limited success in getting some of the European truffle species uh, under cultivation in Oregon, but it's, it's very iffy and it's something that you're not going to know for 10 or 20 years if it's really worked. Uh, Bolita sedulis, we have related species in Nebraska, I haven't seen this one, uh, goes under many different names again, Porcini, Tsep, King Bolete, probably the most popular mushroom in Europe for consumption. And this one, obligate association with trees, uh, there is commercial harvest. Where you're going to see them most commonly is as dried mushrooms, sliced and dried specimens. And you can get them, I've seen them at Whole Foods, I've seen them at uh, Hy-Vee at the co-op. And that's actually one of the rare mushrooms where drying really intensifies the flavor and kind of, if anything, improves it. So if you come, come upon dried boletes, don't pass them up. And uh, chanterelles, enormous commercial harvest in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, much of which is sent over to Europe. Uh, some is fresh, some is canned. Uh, lobster mushroom, that's one I'm just starting to see commercially. Uh, and these are all fresh. So we have fresh chanterelles, fresh lobsters that I saw in Whole Foods around Christmas time. And the lobster mushroom is actually kind of an interesting one because it's the shape here is a mushroom in the genus Boletus, or the genus Rushula, rather. And the orange color is a parasite. It's a fungal parasite growing all over it. Uh, and that's Hypomyces. And the parasite is smart enough that it, as far as we know, never parasitizes poisonous mushrooms. So it's actually fairly easy to identify, but it's sheer chance if you're ever going to come up upon this thing. It's not going to be really cultivatable. Those are also commonly sold dried. So safety. Identification uh, with the wild mushrooms they can be poisonous. And here we have Chlorophyllum molybdates on the left, Chlorophyllum brunium or uh, Chlorophyllum rocotes on the right. Uh, the one on the right is edible and popular, the one on the left is a severe gastrointestinal irritant. And I received the calls for uh, poison control for mushrooms. Well over 90% of what I get when they call and say symptomatic child in hospital, it's chlorophyllum molybdates. The good news is it makes you feel very bad, but it's not deadly. It's, uh, it will cause vomiting, it will cause diarrhea, it will cause severe GI cramps, but then once the mushroom's out of the body, it resolves. And we don't really know what the poison is that does that. Uh, but this is 
this mushroom here is one of the fairly few edible mushrooms that I will almost never eat because they're so similar. The differences come down to the color of the gills and the spores in mature specimens. And these are immature specimens, so you would not know with these unless you're actually looking at the DNA or something else. And to really be confident, you want to take a spore print, leave that cap on paper overnight, let it discharge its spores, and then see if they're white and safe or greenish and not safe. So this is a group I just leave completely alone. Uh, many of the things we looked at, there aren't all that many dangerous mushrooms that look like them. So there's nothing out there that looks like the lobster mushroom. There's, uh, there's really nothing out there that looks like a morel. Uh, with a few caveats, there's something called a false morel. And those, uh, some people do eat them. Uh, it's not recommended. My, the best account I have is still from my introductory mycology textbook, which said some people eat them and find them delicious, and other people eat them and die. Uh, it contains a volatile toxin that is normally mostly dissipated during cooking, as long as you don't inhale the vapors. Uh, there's still a carcinogen that builds up over time. The false morel doesn't actually look at all like the morel. You're not going to confuse them in most cases. But uh, it comes out at about the same time and in some of the same places. Uh, boletes, there are poisonous ones as well as edible ones. Uh, the color of the pores underneath the cap and other traits are used to figure that out. You're not going to learn to identify mushrooms in this half hour lecture, but if you're interested in that, we're starting to do a little more around the state with uh, mushroom walks when mushrooms are in season, which is not March 23rd, and uh, probably ramping up some of the mushroom identification information. You can always contact me too. Uh, things like Hen of the Woods, yeah, you're not going to mistake anything else for that. I would say you're not going to mistake anything else for a chanterelle, but people do. Uh, so it's anything kind of yellowish with gills can sometimes be confused, and that's caused some poisonings. So definitely identification is absolutely key for mushroom safety, and it's the biggest key. Now I'm assuming, again, probably any of you looking at mushrooms would be looking either at cultivating mushrooms producing them and then selling them, or if harvesting it would be morels or something very abundant and very familiar that you're well familiarized with. In Nebraska, our guidelines are really kind of iffy for mushrooms, uh, for farmers markets. We're pretty wide open. Wild mushrooms can, go, can be sold in farmers markets. Uh, mushrooms that you've cultivated at home can be sold at farmers markets. It's when you go to a middleman and leave and cease direct consumer sales that it gets iffy. So selling to restaurants, selling to grocery stores, that's not permissible without, uh, effectively, it's not permissible at all for wild harvested in Nebraska. And for cultivated, you need to follow the rules uh, appertaining to a food processing plant or you, you basically need to be following FSMA. Other states have different guidelines. Uh, a lot of our surrounding states 
Missouri and Iowa uh, and Kansas for wild mushroom sales, like Morel's, for instance, all require uh, some degree of certification or licensing. And that would be something as simple as a half-day class and someone just signing off and verifying that you can tell a Morel from something that isn't a Morel. And I think probably Nebraska will be heading that way eventually, but it's, it's still widely disparate among the different states. Uh, South Dakota doesn't really regulate at all. Uh, the one thing Nebraska will regulate is, and all of the states will, is if you're collecting on state parks or federal land, sometimes you're welcome to do that for home use, but not for sale. Okay, so wild mushrooms can be poisonous. Most of us aren't gonna be working with wild mushrooms. So what about cultivated mushrooms? Uh, culture conditions, uh, good agricultural practices, and uh, again, Pennsylvania has a big list of good mushroom agricultural practices, specifically for fungi. Uh, kind of like growing anything, you want to maintain clean sanitary conditions. Uh, cull diseased or damaged or old mushrooms, so that's an unhappy looking batch of mushrooms. They're kind of water soaked, water spotted looking. That's usually, uh, that's often pseudomonas or some other spoilage bacteria. Sometimes uh, there are viruses that get into the mushroom beds as well. And those are mainly issues with agaricus, with where you've got the really intense cultivation of large numbers of mushrooms. Uh, worker safety, and this would apply to shiitakes and other cultivated mushrooms as well. You want to have good ventilation. Uh, mushrooms exist to produce spores. That's why a mushroom makes a mushroom. And if you've got these mature mushrooms shooting off spores and you're breathing them in all the time, even if you're not allergic or they're not toxic, inhaling large numbers of airborne particulates is never a good idea. So you want to make sure you've got good ventilation you're harvesting before they're shooting off all the spores. Uh, if you're doing shiitake cultivation, uh, you might be handling chainsaws and moving around big heavy logs and stuff, so you need the proper precautions for that. One thing you're not going to have an issue with in cultivating mushrooms is identification. Because generally, you're, you're often starting with a commercial spawn, and even if you have your, you've generated your own sawdust, maybe put it under a plastic sheet for a few days to kind of sterilize it and inoculate it, if your spawn takes off at all, that's going to colonize and it's going to outcompete anything else. You're, the risk of a spore of a poisonous mushroom drifting in from the air and germinating and being able to produce poisonous mushrooms is infinitesimal. I have not heard of it happening. So if you're cultivating and you've gotten spawn from a reliable source, that's poison. Poisoning isn't a risk. Uh, Post-harvest. Fresh mushrooms are very perishable. They can spoil quickly. Uh, sell or preserve in a timely fashion. Preserving can be drying. Uh, you can blanch and freeze. Canning we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, if you're selling fresh, try and allow airflow. A plastic bag will just allow condensation to build up and these things to just rot very quickly. Dried mushrooms can be stable over time. So if you can dry down sufficiently to prevent mold growth, 
then uh, the product might be stable for months or years. So mushrooms are low acid, and they would be considered a botulism risk. There are documented cases of botulism from canned or preserved mushrooms. And uh, so whether canning or soup or preserving in oil, you want to be sure that you're avoiding that risk. Uh, this pretty picture I got on the web of mushrooms preserved in oil, the recipe that went along with that actually did include high levels of vinegar to get the acidity to proper levels. But uh, there have been a lot of instances actually with herbs, especially lately with just putting together those pretty little bottles of oil and herbs and spices. And if it's low acid, botulism can be an issue. Preparation. Uh, most mushrooms should not be eaten raw. The uh, Agaricus bisporus, the white button mushroom, often is. I'll eat it raw in salads. But other than that, most mushrooms shouldn't. And uh, morels, in fact, are especially egregious. There have been poisonings due to eating raw morels. And the reason is that the way a mushroom or a fungus makes its living is it secretes digestive enzymes into a substrate, breaks it down, and then absorbs the amino acids and simple sugars and so on. And these digestive enzymes are very, fairly strong. So if you don't inactivate them by heating, they're still active when you eat the mushroom. And there's a period of time while you're trying to digest your mushroom and your mushroom is trying to digest you. And you're going to win because you're bigger, but uh, it's not very comfortable when it's happening. And morels are very good at this. Uh, the, the big case in question was a gala banquet in Vancouver in the 1990s where the chef served raw morels to 400 people, and it was not a pretty sight. And this was a charity fundraiser thing, too, so these people had paid a lot for a poisonous salad that probably didn't even taste very good because I think cooking adds a lot to the flavor of the mushrooms. Okay, so resources, uh, cultivation and supplies, including books, uh, field and forest products, that's the catalog I have here. Fungi perfecti is the other big thing for fungal cultivation and they have, they carry a lot of books, they have posters, they have t-shirts, they have everything. If you watch the, the new Star Trek Discover, Paul Stamets of Fungi Perfecti was the inspiration for the uh, mycologist on there. Uh, for general information, if you're interested in identifying mushrooms and getting to know mushrooms, for this part of the world, the best site out there is mushroomexpert.com. And that's, uh, it's run out of Illinois, but very, very good, continually expanding and growing site. Uh, any questions? Yeah, we've we've got one there too. With morels being really prolific here in our area, what is the best way to preserve them so that we can do something with them later? It's drying is fairly common for morels, and for that you can get a dehydrator at Target or Lowe's or what have you, and that works well. What I normally do, because I'm not getting tons and tons of morels, if I do have enough to preserve, is I will fry them and then freeze them. 
because you don't want to freeze them directly because that'll form ice crystals that will uh, kind of damage the structure and make them kind of soggy when you uh, thaw them out. But if they've been blanched or cooked then, and frozen, then they're, then they're good. Question back there. So our office received a call of someone interested in uh, cultivating the morel. Uh, they, I think they might already be an established uh, uh, mushroom grower here in the state. So is there something new out there for cultivating morels? There is nothing new that I know of. And the best advice I can give, and they've probably already done this, is go on the web. There will be better and worse information. Um, Gary Mills, who's the guy who has patented a method, I think that still, that should actually be off patent by now, but I, I think that might still be somewhat proprietary. He, for a while, he had an establishment uh, on the east coast of Michigan, or the west coast of Michigan, but uh, yeah, there's nothing really solid out there, so it's kind of building from what you see on the web and then kind of hit and miss. But that, my impression is there's still going to be a flavor issue. And if you were branching out, I'm not sure Morel is going to be the one I would branch into unless you're willing to put a lot of time and effort and tweaking into it and be willing to accept that you might not get very good returns. Now, if you, if you succeed in making a reliable, cultivatable morel that tastes like the wild ones, then you've potentially hit the jackpot. But it's, it's not going to be easy. 